0: Well, good morning. It's good to good to be here with you again. Uh, I always enjoy getting with the church family and worshiping together. And uh, when Michelle was praying, of course, this is on my mind. Right when I'm preaching on, she was praying. She said about meditating on on what we hear. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read this article in the some magazine. I don't know anyway. It said when you wash your hands, <clears throat> you should wash your hands as long as it takes to sing Happy Birthday two times. So you know what I'm doing every time now when I'm washing my hands? Singing happy birthday. I just can't get it out of my mind. So so every day, several times, I sing happy birthday to myself. But I say that to say what she prayed. This scripture that I want to show you this morning is so important to our Christian life. And I wish it would just take root in my mind and my heart. Just like that singing happy birthday twice every time I wash my hands. I, I, I wish every time my thoughts would turn to God that I would remember this truth that the writer of Hebrews writes about in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. You know, the book of Hebrews is, is I, I think, probably written by Paul. It's not a mountain to die on. He doesn't identify himself, but I think it's probably by him. And really, the main theme of the book of Hebrews is better. Jesus is better. He's better than all the old stuff. He's better than the old covenant, which had its time and its place and its purpose. But Jesus is better. Now, to put our text into context, you know, Pastor Jason, he preaches through books. And by the way, he should be in a plane about now, I think, uh, heading this way and be back late tonight. Probably won't see him for a few days. But anyway, he's on his way back. But to put it into context, which is very important. Chapter 3, about verse 9, starts talking about this rest that God has for his people to enter into. But he says, he builds this case and he says, before they did not enter into God's rest. They didn't enter into his rest because of unbelief and because of disobedience. But he said, he went on to say, but there is still a rest to enter into. And he tells us that in verse 11 of chapter 4, we should strive to enter that rest. And then in verse 12, He talks about the word of God, how it is sharper than a two-edged sword, and how it divides even our soul, our spirit, our thoughts, the intentions of our heart. All right, then verse 13, and he says, God is all seeing, nothing is hidden from God. Man, I tell you what, if you read those verses and take those verses seriously, it can be a sobering thought. That there is an inner rest we are supposed to strive for, but yet the Word shows us our weaknesses, our sufferings, our striving, our hardships of our soul and of our spirit and of our intentions, of our mind. And He shows us this, and then He says, You're supposed to strive. Well, we're just supposed to persevere to the end. I like that word, persevere. And when I use the word persevere, I don't mean you get saved by grace. And and then after that, you just try as hard as you can. Our striving is even because of the grace of God. But we're not just supposed to coast through life. So he starts from that point, giving us some exhortations about how you and I can enter this rest. All right? And this, this is two verses that, or three verses, I think, that will help us so much. And like I said, I pray that they would just do like singing happy birthday. I, I wish they'd just really get in my mind. And, and every time I bowed before God, this would pop into my mind. Let's, let's read them together. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is truth, that it is inspired by you, that you have given it to us, that we might learn it, that it might take root in our hearts, that it might bear fruit for your eternal glory, the fruit of salvation, justification, sanctification. Father, all those things that you're working in our lives by your spirit and by your word, we just give you thanks today. Lord, I pray for these, about these verses we're going to look at together this morning. God, I pray that you'll just open our eyes and our heart uh, to these truths. Lord, not, not so much maybe what I say, but what the scripture says to us. Give us understanding this morning, Father. I, I pray that, Lord, this would just really just take residence up in my heart. And that every time I kneel before you, that this picture of this truth would come to my mind. Lord, thank you that you've called us to persevere. But even in that call that you have equipped us by your grace and your mercy so that we will, that it's not in question. That we who are your children, we will persevere to the end by your grace and by your mercy. So thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as we look at these verses, I really want to start at the end of verse 14 with that exhortation that he gives us. When he says there, let us hold fast our confession. I want you to notice something. He said, let us. In other words, he included himself in this. He said, this is not just for some lower type believers. This is for us. This is for the children of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now we know what it means to hold fast to something, don't we? It means to grab it firmly and don't let go of it. Just grasp it as tightly as you can and hold tight. And what he's telling us that we are supposed to grasp tightly is our confession. So what's he talking about here when he says hold tightly to our confession? Well it's not a written confession okay? It's not something you write on paper and then you sign it saying that you're going to abide by this and you're going to live by this thus become a part of this church or something. That's not what he's talking about. I like what the uh, Philip E. Hughes said about this. He said it is a belief that is both inwardly entertained by the heart and outwardly professed by men i think of romans chapter 10 verse 10 when i when i read that definition and this idea of confession for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved so what is this confession that you and i make it is the truth that we believe about jesus christ what do we believe about him who is he? What has he accomplished? What is he doing on the behalf of his children? These truths of God's word that you and I, we are supposed to grasp and we are supposed to hold tightly to. Uh, you know, their response might have been, uh, and I think even as I read this, I thought, well, you know, th- this, this is pretty challenging really, isn't it? I mean, he's just told us about his word. how It is even revealing the intentions of my heart. He's just told me that the word reveals my weaknesses is my lack of faith that sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, our struggles we have, our doubts, and our fears that we wrestle with. And now we're told to hold fast. And I want to remind you once again that persevering, holding fast, is not given to us in our own strength and our own abilities. But it is by the grace of God that you and I persevere it's not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and suck it up brother and do the best you can God doesn't do that with his children what he calls us to he has equipped us to and let let me show you here how he's made this possible he starts out with since some of your translation starts out verse 14 with therefore so since we have in other words, listen, this is not a wishful thinking that he's talking about in verses 14, 15, and 16. He's making a statement here. Since this, this, we have this, we can hold tightly to our confession. Well, what is it he says that we have? He says we have a great high priest. All right, isn't that wonderful? I tell you what, I believe any time we take God's word and we focus on Jesus... Unless we're really trying hard to blow it, it's hard to blow it. Because, you know, when you talk about Jesus and just tell the truths about who he is, it's going to touch our hearts. Uh, Over in Hebrews chapter 10, by the way, you're going to hear a lot of Hebrews today because there are like five chapters starting where we just started, where the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus and how he is the high priest of his children. I would encourage you to study on this sometime. But Hebrews chapter 10 Verses twenty-one through twenty-three, he says this, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now he didn't he didn't make that multiple choice, okay? He just said, This is the truth of you who are a child of God. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wa- wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Those of you who are a child of God today, because you have a great high priest. You will persevere in the faith. You will grasp tightly to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and he will see you through your sanctification process or growing more Christ-like. We have a great high priest. Now listen, Jesus being high priest doesn't make him great, okay? Jesus is great because he is great. The writer of Hebrews says he's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than King David. He is greater than Aaron who was the priest. who His, his kin were the priests that followed him. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus is greater than all earthly men. He is great. I wish I could do like Tony the Tiger. Some of you guys may, do you remember Tony the Tiger when he would say great? Man, he'd just drag it out. I can't do it. I'm sorry. So you can just imagine it. But Jesus is greater like that, okay? Jesus is great. He's great. And we need to let that take root in our heart that our Savior is great. And he is our great high priest. Well, let's look at some things here in our text That shows us how he is great. For one of the things it says here in our verse. He says who has passed through the heavens. The earthly high priest. They passed through a curtain. Once a year they would walk through this curtain. And they would enter into the holy of holies. Which was the presence of God. And they would go in there with blood of animals to atone for. For their sins and for the sins of the people. 1,400 years they sacrificed millions of animals showing that the wages of sin is death. And it required blood for the atonement or the covering of those sins. But that blood and those priests never removed guilt from the worshiper. Well what about Jesus? Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 11 through 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Now listen to this. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ is great. He is great because he passed through the heavens. And the scripture says that he was not... Just in the presence of God once a year for a short time doing his business. But he says here that Jesus passed through the heavens and he is in the presence of God for eternity. You know, I read through these six chapters this week and I took a little yellow marker and I marked every time where it talked about God being in the presence of God forever. Six times in like five chapters, the writer of Hebrews drove this home. He's saying, listen, friend, Jesus is in the presence of God forever with his own blood. Not once a year with the blood of animals that could not atone for your sins, but with his blood which brought the believer eternal redemption. Jesus is what? He's great because he passed through the heavens and he is in the presence of God forever let's look at uh 7 twenty-one. I've, I've got a lot of and when i don't say the book i mean hebrews okay seven verse 21 he says but this one was made a priest without an oath by the one who said to him the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest Forever. Six times through just a few books. There are five books, I think it is. He talked about that. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Let's look and see what that says. The former priests, talking about Aaron's kin, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost you know what uttermost means it means completely he saves completely those who have drawn near to god through him through jesus how since he always lives to make intercession for them do you get that picture jesus our high priest entered into the very presence of God in the heavenlies with his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption for us. And then, this scripture says, Now he is 724 interceding for his children. Man, I don't know about you. I like that. I I, I like to think that my Savior is interceding on behalf of me because, friends, I need him interceding on my behalf Because I know my failures and I know my shortcomings. And so does he very clearly. And man, we must be holy to go before God. And we can't do it on ourself. But we have one who is interceding on our behalf who is holy. So you and I have that blessed promise. That we have an intercessor in the holy of holies. Not made with hands but heavenly forever. Permanently saving us. That's why he's great man that, that that is good news, friends. He, he didn't just save us and let us go and do our do our own thing and hope we made it. God Jesus Christ is at work today on our behalf. I remember I don't know how many of you recall Mr. Kime. I was trying to remember his first name it's not Charlie his dad. He came and did a revival, married a chalk drawer drawer. you guys remember him. And I'll never forget one drawing he did. He was preaching on prayer, and he's drawing this picture, and it's basically a landscape. Of course, it's black light. It's a landscape. And then he draws a guy, remember, on his knees underneath the tree, on his knees. I I can't talk today, can I? On his knees under the tree, praying. And he talks a little bit more, and then he turns the black light on. You Remember what you see when he turns the black light on? There's Jesus above him praying for him. And I've never forgot that picture that's always stuck in my mind. That, friends, when we are praying, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And and that's, that's the picture I want to keep in my mind. That when I bow before God, it is not by my own goodness or my abilities or anything. But it is because I have a great high priest who is interceding on my behalf. Jesus is great. Now, he said, our high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, And he does that for a reason. Jesus reminds us of his humanity. It reminds us of his earthly ministry. uh, His redemptive work that he's done on our behalf. Plus his setting the demonic free and healing the sick and teaching. And all those things he did. So when we think of this great high priest. We're not supposed to think of someone who is untouchable. But we remember one God who came and took the flesh and walked this earth for 30 years, 33 years, counting his ministry, and he died in our place. We need to remember when we hear the name of Jesus that he came. They named him Jesus because he would free his people from their sins. Man, when we see the name of Jesus, we remember his humanity. But then he didn't stop with just Jesus. He said, the Son of God. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, verse 3 through 5. Let me read that to you. If I can get this page apart. You know, the older I've gotten, the more of these pages stick together. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Let's see what he says there. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now listen to verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is the son of God. We remember his humanity. We remember that he is divine in the sense that he came as God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. And that way he is able to represent us, Paul would say, as our mediator, our go-between, but he had to fulfill his earthly work before he could fulfill his heavenly work. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 for there is one God and there is one mediator, which basically means a go-between. He is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Okay, so Paul was writing to young Timothy and he said, listen, Jesus is your mediator. He was fully God and he is fully man. So he is able to represent man before God. Vice versa, he is able to represent God to man. So we have a high priest, Jesus, humanity, the son of God, the divine one, who is our mediator between God and man, who is 724 in the presence of God interceding for us so that he might save us completely. You know what that means completely? That means from the moment of our justification to the moment that we stand before God glorified. Justification, sanctification, glorification. He saves us completely. We hold fast our confession because we have a great high priest. All right? Why else? What else about this priest here in chapter 4? Well, it says he's also a sympathizing high priest in verse 15. You know, I thought if we just stopped at verse 14, we might get called up. Uh, probably not. Probably should. But we might get called up in the wonder and the awe of Jesus Christ and how divine he is as the Son of God. And and we might see him just totally as unapproachable, uh, untouchable. But he's not that way. He is a sympathizing high priest. It says he sympathizes with our Weaknesses. This is it's interesting. This is stressed with a double negative, which expresses a positive idea. Okay, now now I am not. I don't I don't know Greek, and you know that. And I'm sure not an English major, and you've figured that out if you've heard me many times, right, right, Michelle. So anyway, uh, this is a double negative with a positive idea. He said two times. To- he said in a negative way twice. We do not negative. Who is unable? negative but then he expressed a positive idea from that a high priest and we could say who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses in other words not only is he jesus the son of god is our high priest he is not one who is untouchable up there but he is one who has compassion for us he has been i love this he has been touched with our weaknesses. You get that? With our weaknesses. With our struggles in life. He has been touched by them. He sympathizes with us. He identifies with us. In those weaknesses in our struggles. In other words friends. You, if you are a child of God. You have a high priest who has compassion towards you. And I know there are times that you feel and I feel that we're all alone and nobody understands what we're going through. Nobody understands this struggle. Nobody understands my faith just trying to get weaker and I'm trying to grow in my faith and we struggle within ourselves and we think, no one understands. Yeah, we do. We have a great high priest who sympathizes Shows compassion toward us in our weaknesses. Not when we think we're so strong, but when we understand we are weak. See, weaknesses refer to our limitations. He knows when we are weary and thirsty and suffer, when we face hardships, when we deal with loneliness. He understands what it is to be scorned, what it means to be insulted, what it means to be deserted, what it means to be betrayed. You name any experience in your life, in, in and in, in, in that way, not maybe not the exact same experience, but in that way of weakness, Jesus Christ can identify with you in it. You might say, well, man, I, I broke my leg. How in the world can he understand that? He never had a broken bone. Well, man, what he went through was a whole lot worse physical suffering than a broken leg. See what I'm saying? Maybe not the exact same thing, but in that way and in that area of life, he identifies with you in your Weakness. He is able to sympathize with us because when Jesus Christ came, He did not live His life in a bubble. He walked and talked the life that you and I live, except He lived it without sin. He can identify, He can show compassion toward us. And dear friends, I, I thought about myself, and there's far too many times in life. We look to other people for sympathy. We, we look to other people trying to hope they will understand what we're going through. And, and I don't know that a whole lot's wrong with that, except when we go to people only and we forget to go to a great high priest whose God's word tells us he can show compassion toward us in our weaknesses. As I thought about that, my mind went back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember that chapter on comfort? And it talks about the God of all comfort, how he comforts us in our our struggles and so forth. And then it says after that, the reason he comforts us is so that we might show comfort to others. Yeah, I think this might be the same thing. I think it might be the same truth that when we go to Jesus with our weaknesses and, and we 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 sense and know his compassion toward us, I think that fills us up where we can show compassion to others. See, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Another reason he is so great of a sympathizing priest, it says, in every respect, he has been tempted as we have been tempted every respect as we are doesn't mean the like i said the exact same acts But it does mean the range of temptations in every way he has been tempted. He has been tested. He has been tried just like we have. He was tempted by power. He was tempted to accept comfort. He was tempted to accept wealth. He was tempted in all those areas and he withstood temptation. Now in my Bible, if you look right across the page at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says this about this high priest. Therefore, What do you look to? Who do you look to when you are tempted? See, one of, the, one of the things we should do, we should look to our great high priest because he has been tempted in every area of life that you and I are tempted and his temptations were real This this idea of temptation here is perfect passive participle, which implies the thoroughness and completeness of his temptations. Thus, the writer is saying, listen, his temptations were the real thing. Some people say, well, he was the son of God, so his temptations weren't real. Yes, they were real. In fact, the reality is his temptations probably were greater than our temptations that we deal with. Why? Because of his Holiness. It says he was tempted without sin. Some of you guys that have worked around compressors, and and even if you own an air compressor, you know there's a gauge on there, and it has that area. Remember when you get up there, and then it's in the red when it gets too much. But you also have a relief valve that's sitting over here, and it gets to a certain point. and right, it lets off that excess there. Well, temptations with Jesus, if you can think of that gauge, temptations with Jesus, when he went through temptation, they went clear over. Past the red and almost broke the gauge okay because he never gave in to them you and I we're kind of like that relief valve we get up to a certain point and we start looking to Jesus or we do like 1 Corinthians 10 31 says we look for a way of escape from that temptation and we do it so that relief valve goes off I'm trying to show you that picture to show you how much greater his temptations were because he didn't give in to them they just kept pushing against him until finally his enemy said, I surrender. All right? So that is why I say to you this morning, his temptations was probably greater because they were without sin. Sometimes our relief valve is not looking for that way of escape or looking to our Savior. You know what they are sometimes? Sometimes we give in to the sin and the temptation seizes, doesn't it? But you know what? The temptation's not conquered it's going to come back until we learn to handle temptations the way the scriptures teach us one look to our great high priest secondly look for a way of escape understanding no temptation is common just to you that every person suffers the same kind of temptations so we need to understand how to handle our temptations because all of us the God's words are very clear I don't even have to prove it to you this. I'm sure that all people are sinners okay But he was without sin because being tempted isn't sin. All right, we sin, but Jesus doesn't. So this reminds us without sin of his purity, of his holiness. Animals could not take away or atone for the sins of men. Why? Because they were animals. We as people, we try to cover and atone for our sins, don't we? If you're not a believer today, especially, we, we try maybe going to church, maybe dropping a check in the offering. We try being better than him or her. You know, we, we try doing good works. Man, we try being religious. We try being spiritual. We try all kind of things so that we can enter into the presence of God. And God's word is very clear. We can't. There's nothing that you and I can do. There's nothing that we can enter into the presence of God with and say, God, here's my sacrifice. I really hope this is acceptable to you to atone for my sins because nothing will do it except the blood of Jesus because only Jesus was the Son of Man who had the life of man within him and he died paying the debt of our sins permanently. That is why he is the only way into the presence of the Father because he was without sins. He is the sinless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our Savior. He is our high priest. And and like I said, I, I would pray for myself and for you. Man, this verse would just pierce our hearts. That the sinless Son of God died in our place. That He understands our weaknesses better than any person sitting in this sanctuary. He understands our temptations, and He is in heaven at this very moment before God, interceding on our behalf. He's praying for every one of us right now. He's praying for me in this preaching situation. He's praying for you as you listen. I, I really believe He's praying for every one of you by name, saying, You know what? God, give him ears to hear. Let let him hear what the scriptures are saying. Give his heart, his spirit to be responsive to the spirit of God so that the spirit of God can take the word of God and do a washing and a cleansing in his life, a sanctifying work in him. I guarantee you Jesus is praying for us. And I guarantee you that because God's word teaches that he is. That should thrill our souls to think that we have a great high priest who is sent sympathizes with our weakness notice in verse 16 he extends to us an invitation he says let us then with confidence draw nearer to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need let us here's that let us again let us do something Why well, let us what draw near you know I'll just share a tense with you again because it's so important. This is a present tense, that's draw near, which means we are supposed to continually be drawing near. Continually. We are supposed to be approaching with confidence minute by minute, second by second. And I think probably we think, especially when we pray, man, when we pray, we should with confidence be drawing near Because we have a great high priest. Without confidence. That means without fear. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ. And he has invited us to approach him without fear. He says draw near to me. And draw near by the way is a priestly term. It's when the the priest would would take a sacrifice in. And they were drawing near. He's, He's inviting us like that. He's saying draw near to me. As a priest would draw near to God. Then you and I, as a child of God, we can approach the throne of grace boldly, not with the fear of condemnation. We can approach him freely without hesitation as a son coming to his father. You recall that that picture, some of you will? A picture of Kennedy when he was in office and he was in the Oval Office and he was sitting at his desk. They had several of them, a bunch of them, but there was one where a little boy was crawling around. Remember that, under the desk playing and stuff? Remember that picture? The most powerful office, I think, in the world. The most powerful person at that time in the world had a little boy crawling around at his feet. You know why he was able to do that? He was his son. There was no fear in that little boy. Man, he was in the most powerful place that you could kind of be at the feet of his dad, the president. Man, he was just having a blast. You know, that's the way we're supposed to be when we think about our Heavenly Father. We're not, we're not supposed to go before Him, you know, just ha sara, sara But we are to go before Him as a child. Because we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And, and we don't fear judgment when we approach Him. We approach Him as a child of the King. And He says, draw near to the throne of grace. Not a judgment seat of wrath. Not a judgment seat of condemnation. You know the old covenant people would come into the outer court. And you know they had a ladies court and then they had a gentile court. And and then they had a, a court of the men and then they had a priestly court. And then the high priest could enter the holy of holies. Dear friend we need to remind ourselves occasionally that we as the children of God. We have an invitation to enter into the very holy of holies. We have an invitation to enter and draw near to the throne of grace. And when we draw near to this throne of grace, what, what, what does it say we do? We receive mercy and we find grace. You notice he uses two different words talking about how we get grace and mercy. With mercy, he said receive, which is passive. It's something that, like if somebody hands you a gift, You just receive it. It's something they extended to you by someone else. So he's saying mercy, that not getting what we deserve, that's my simple definition of mercy, he extends that to us as a gift, that he doesn't give us what we deserve. But then he used the word in the ESV, find grace. Find is active presence, which means you and I are to be humbly seeking grace for our weaknesses. Not saying earning grace, we are to be humbly seeking grace for our weaknesses. Just like Paul did in 2 Corinthians 12 when he had the thorn in the flesh. Why did it say three times he prayed that God would take this thorn away. And God finally said, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. You and I, man, that's why you and I are supposed to go before the throne of grace. Humbly receiving mercy for our weaknesses and our past failures and our sins. But also seeking and praying for that grace of God that he pours out into the lives of his children. Giving us, my my term for grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy not getting what we do deserve. Grace giving us what we don't deserve. Going to him when? In our time of need. It is because you and I as people, we folks, us folks, we have times of weakness. We have times of physical weakness, illnesses, and so forth. We have times of spiritual weaknesses when, when we are tempted and when our faith seems to, to, to waver on us. Piper said it like this, there is timely help in the time of need. In other words, friends, when we get honest with ourselves about our life and about our struggles, about our weaknesses, we can go to the throne of grace and we will receive mercy. And we can humbly pray and seek grace and we will find grace. And dear brothers and sisters, God's timing is perfect. He is always on time. He may not do things the way that you and I sometimes want them done, But someday you and I look back and say, man, I'm glad God did it his way and not mine. And I know we go through some things in life that are not pleasant. And sometimes they end in ways we wish they did not. So what do we do? We remember we have a great high priest who identifies with our weaknesses, who understands our temptations. And we go to him as his child, receiving mercy. And finding grace. And dear brothers and sisters. That. That truth is why you and I can persevere. That is why you and I can grasp firmly to our confession. And persevere. Because of who our great high priest is. He invites us to come to him. And his timing is perfect. You know the cross was probably the most evil thing that was ever done. But it was the perfect timing. God knew exactly when to send his son to the cross. Because, see, God knew our need. And he knew that we could not satisfy that need. So at the perfect time, Jesus sent his son to live the life that not one of us in this place could live, a sinless life. And then he died the death that you and I deserve, the death for sin. And then he went to the grave, didn't he? And on the third day he arose and he arose and he defeated sin and he defeated Satan and he defeated death. And now all who believe in him, who have their faith in him, we are joined together with him. In what? In his death, his life, in his resurrection. See brother, sister, you you think man I've struggled, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Yeah you are. You just look to your high priest. You go before your high priest. You know that he is in heaven right now. Interceding for you. And you will find help in your need. Dear believer. You don't have to do it on your own. You're not in this by yourself. You say yeah I'm in this with my church. Well, Your church is pretty good and we can help each other can't we? We can't help each other like Jesus can help us. So I encourage you this morning, go to him first. And then go to others. He is your great high priest. If you're not a believer, I would just remind you this morning that your only hope is Jesus Christ. That he died for you. As I said, he lived the life that you could not live. Died to the death that you deserved, so that by faith you could come to him. Let me read one last verse in closing. We'll close with this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? Wow. (laughs) That is amazing. I hope these verses take root in your mind. Let's bow together, shall we? Dear God, you are so gracious to us. I, I just, as I as I thought about this text this past week, that song, Tell It to Jesus, just kept rolling through my mind. God, I pray for each believer in here. God, help us be people who seek you. Help us be people, God, who don't look at the struggles of this life and just throw our hands up in despair and, and want to quit. Help us, Father, to look to Jesus. Help us, God, to come to him as our high priest, our great high priest. Help us come to him because he understands us, our weaknesses, our struggles. Help us, oh God, because you have mercy to show us grace to pour out into our lives. God, I thank you for this church, and it's a good thing that we have brothers and sisters who will pray for us and Visit with us and talk with us. I thank you so much for this body of believers. But God, don't let this body of believers take your place. Remind us today that first and foremost, we should come to you. Lord, you know each of our hearts here today. You know the struggles we deal with. You know the physical issues we have. Spiritual issues, emotional issues, relational issues. We just go on and on, God, but you know every one of them. Help us even during this closing song. Just to bow our head before you. God to come before you. As our great high priest. To just lay everything at your feet. To put it upon your shoulders. To trust you. I pray for those. Who's never, never come to a saving faith in Jesus. You know their hearts. God if today is the day. That, that you give them faith. That they turn to you. Let them rejoice. Let them share that with us this morning as we sing. That they want to know you as Lord and Savior. So thank you, Father. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that prior to the foundation of this world, you wrote names in the book of life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection and today. Especially thank you for the extension to know that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And it's in his name that I pray this morning. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together. Show me.